Hey, my name's Britt, and this is your Only Black Friend Podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to your Only Black Friend Podcast. I am super stoked to bring you today's episode because this is my first two-parter. Today, we're going to hear from Jessica who just so happens to be an assistant manager slash curvy assistant at a bridal salon in Illinois. Jessica and I randomly met one day. We've only known each other for about two months, but I knew when I first met her that I had to have her on the podcast because not only do our experiences overlap with each other, she has a mature perspective of what being and only in many situations feels like. And so with that, let's get into it. My name is Jessica. I am a assistant manager slash curvy stylist for a bridal salon in Illinois. It's funny when people ask you about your story because on certain levels, all of our stories are intertwined, connected, and similar. My relationship with myself and discovering myself, I'm 34 years old, so it's perpetually growing and changing. I was born in Bremerhaven, Germany. My father was military, so as soon as we came back to the States, I grew up in Montana and Wyoming. So when you're talking about the experience of being singular in some of your past podcasts, it's... I I wasn't an us until my adulthood. I was an always an I. So you never know what that's like or or know that the experience isn't isn't everybody's until you start getting around your community. Moving to Chicago was my first truly truly full-time black experience around other black people. And now that I'm old enough, I can kind of reevaluate things. But at the same time, I think that the same insecurities that I had as a kid, being the only black person in a room, I actually have now being around people uh, who are like me and not knowing exactly how to relate or what to say, or am I coming off to one way or another? So growing up, what were some experiences that as a child, you realized that you were different from the other kids? I think that I was already set up to understand that pretty early on. My my grandmother actually grew up in a different part of Wyoming when she was a kid, moved away, had a life, came back. But she's originally from Mississippi and she was a professor of the University of Wyoming. So as the age old story, we kind of, our family kind of molded back together after my mother had lived, traveled and been married. And when she got divorced, she came back to live with her family, you know, so that strong family. Black unit was always there. It's just that I thought everybody else's reality looked like mine, sounded like mine and was, was mine, except for the fact that at home, everything was normal. And when you're little, everything's normal, but when you go out and you start getting to the ages where people start asking questions or talking about differences was really where it became prevalent because I had grown up there. So when I hit about seven or eight, that's when kids start pointing out, hey, you don't look like me. Hey, you don't sound like me. And then it just progressively gets to um, a point where you really start to feel like an outsider because the question starts saying, well, why do black people do this? Or where does this come from? And I had no idea. You know what I mean? Because there are things I knew and things I didn't, but my grandmother always told me that people aren't going to understand 
my peers will ask me questions or my peers won't know any other Black people but me. So it's really important to put my best foot out there. She said, you have to achieve high because they expect that you can. You have to speak well because they expect that you won't. And you have to be on your best behavior all the time because you're representing a people that you don't even understand. So it was, it was, now that I'm older, I can say that it was a very confusing thing. But when I was a kid, I thought that that was people preparing you for the world. Do you know what I mean? Like, say please and thank you. So it was always this kind of back and forth, but I am a constant overachiever and it has a large part to do with that first message. There was never a time in my school career from K to finishing college that I wasn't student government president. But with that comes this opposite end where you have a complex, where you have to be good at everything all the time. And, and when you're not, are you letting your people down? Are you letting your family down? Are you letting you down? And they mesh. You don't know what your people and you and all these things are anymore, you know? I always had to set the bar a little bit higher. And something that I talked about with my grandfather recently was being a pioneer and being the first and doing things that, you know, no other Black person has done. And I can only imagine for you being in Wyoming and Nebraska, were you the first to do a lot of things? Were you the first Black woman to do X, Y, and Z? Well, I mean, I'm sure in a certain context I was. My my cousin, who is two generations off of me, was the first Black cheerleader to ever enter the high school that I went to. And my sister was the second. I used my ability to communicate to really be my catalyst in any setting. So I'm sure I was the first Black student council president. But in my house, it that didn't ex exist that way. There was a lot of expectation and no expectation at the same time. Does that make sense? So they didn't say, you have to be the first Black. They just said, you better kill it. You better raise the, the spectrum. My grandmother, she brought Martin Luther King Day to the town that I'm from. First of all, they still don't acknowledge Martin Luther King Day as Martin Luther King Day. They'll say it now because it's a university-based town. So that title comes up, but it's actually considered Equality Day. And when she passed, they named a scholarship for the university and in link with Martin Luther King Day for her. I think back on it and I don't remember giving an option or really having a conversation about what I would bring to the world personally. It was just that whatever you do, you have to do it big. So I've just always been a big dreamer because of it. Now my standards were built because of that expectation. And so I don't know where one starts and the other one ends anymore. Right now I'm in, in the phase of my life where I'm trying to do a lot of self-development and a lot of self-growth. I'm sorry about the dinging, but you have to retrain your mind to the talk that you grew up with. And when you start with one topic, it moves into another and it moves into another. And then you, then you're able to see the bigger picture of how you grew up. Now I am in a biracial marriage. So it causes me to look at things from a very different perspective now, because we're talking about things like how our families were and how our life was. And my husband is the middle of seven children and, and his parents didn't ask very much of him. They're all over 30 and they have that luxury to flip flop on their destiny and what they want to do and what they want to pursue. I was hyper-focused on getting really good at one thing because I'm not the most involved student as far as academia goes. I had challenges reading as a child, which I had to overcompensate for so nobody noticed. I tell my brides, look, at the time of my childhood, it was being Black and being plus size and just maturing a little earlier in certain developmental things. It felt like a perpetual case of braces that I could never get rid of. You know, when people talk about being a kid and being awkward or being this or being that, that's what it was to me in my head. Like, this is just an awkward state you're in, but it's not. I was telling my husband the other day that it was at 30, I finally saw Black as being beautiful.
But mind you, I'm a kid born in the 80s, in the 80s where there's only two to three black shows and they were comic relief shows. The closest to anything real was the Cosby show, but even that was, you know what I mean, entertainment. You look at even the Jeffersons, it was making a mockery out of the struggle and the hurdles and just making it black light for the world. So now that there's black actors who are pursuing something really far and black directors and black this and, and black movies are no longer the super D-listy movies that you only see if you have BET, which was an expensive channel, so we didn't have it. I had no concept of what a black reality was. I was ingrained by society, not my family, but by society that there was something wrong with me. And so you shut up and you sit down and you do your best to fit in and not rock the boat and hope that that's enough to get you through. And it really is sad, but I, I can't be mad at it because it created my strength. I found what being a black woman is to me. And I think I even know it deeper than most people who grew up with the black experience because I had to. Black women are really powerful. And it's, it's something that if you think about it too hard, it gets almost scary because that's a lot of, of armor, a lot of weaponry, a lot of defenses, but a lot of greatness. And if you don't think about it, you can waste it very easily. You just encompass like what it feels like to go through the process of trying to figure out who you are and figure out who you are with your Blackness. When I was younger, my Blackness was so distant from me. It was something that I didn't want to acknowledge. It was something where it was like, nope, that's not important. You're not looking at me as a human. You're just looking at my skin color. This means nothing. Like that's how I was ingrained. And it wasn't until I got to college where I actually was in a, a space where there were more Black people. And it freaked me out. Like it was a culture shock that I did not, I could not register. And then of course I go through college and I have mental breakdowns and I'm just like trying to figure out who I am. But I, it's just, it was so overwhelming. And it wasn't until I got out of college that I realized that being black is my own experience. And it's not what other people projected onto me. When I was 19, we moved to Las Vegas. You take a girl from a very small, white, very right-wing Republican. I'm going to say that wrong. They are about their business, their money, their everything. And very conservative views. And then you jump up and you go to some place like Vegas, which is an oasis of unreal moments. When you're experiencing the Vegas lifestyle and the residential lifestyle, very different. But when you're, when you're young, you're mingling both. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're a little bit more diverse. So you still don't get the full black experience, but you do get around a lot more people. And it makes you kind of wonder more about who you are because you start seeing people of all different races, really embracing their culture, but encompassing Americanized culture too. And you're like, I don't have that. What am I doing? My mother had to order my Barbie dolls when I was a child so that I would have an eclectic racial mix of Barbie dolls because in Wyoming and Montana, they don't have black Barbies on the shelves. They carry what sells. And so there was nothing but white, white Barbies. And, and although my mother was never super harsh about race or saying, you know, white people are over there, they're like this. My mom is a very big peacekeeper, social worker type. She would just order me a few of other dolls so I'd have this mix. So I commend her for working as hard as she did because you don't know it when you're a kid, you know? When you start getting into areas where there's a lot of Black people, you start realizing how close off we can be to our own people alone. 
And my father's side is born, raised, and planted in Mississippi. My mother's from Los Angeles. And my mom was born in the 50s during segregation, but her parents were both professional people who lived in a very integrated neighborhood. We grew up Lutheran, which is a very German faith to be. So um, my mother was raised in the environment that if you succeed, then you'll be fine. You know what I mean? Your life will be fine. It'll be stable. They're not looking as much at your skin. I mean, obviously it's still there. Let's not, let's not pretend like it's not, but it's different because money talks on the West coast. Money talks, even if they don't like you because of your skin tone, if you got money, they'll deal with it over here. You see that setback of, of, separation. So we talk all the time about what that means for us and what that's going to mean for our kids. And, and there's times where I have to remember that I don't need to apologize and he doesn't make me feel like I need to, but because I'm bringing him to, into a world that he never understood, I, sometimes I feel the need to, like when the riots were happening and people were, you know, it was the height of people getting killed and stuff, black men in particular, I turned to him one day and I just felt the need to say, you know, I'm sorry. And he said, why are you sorry? And I said, because I know what it's going to mean to have black children, but you don't. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad about that. And I'm not trying to make you feel different about that. It's just that I was groomed from the beginning to understand what was about to come into my life. So even when it was bad, it's, it was surprising, but I knew what to do. You have no idea. And you talk about when we have kids, they're not going to be this, or they're not going to be that in a negative light. You know, he wants them to be whatever, but, but he doesn't realize that we are ingrained to have even a different tone of speaking to people. Like we're less than because we were taught that we were less than even when we were taught, we were so much more. I think that women already had that kind of tone anyway. You should, you should compete with a woman. I think that part in that Beyonce song, it was that poem. And she's like, why do women aspire to marriage, but men aspire to greatness. And and she's going off about this tangent and, and I, it was so true. So at 34, I'm finally learning what my position means for me and what's most important. And I'm a huge dreamer. I feel like I learn something new about myself and about our culture and about our race every day. And it's all about the different spaces too that we're in. You mentioned something, and I think you were alluding to code switching a little bit of like when you're in a space that's like surrounded by white people, you know, you have to be on. It's funny that you brought up specifically code switching because even more so than that, Mm -hmm. I'm 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 a mess. I'm gonna take you through the matrix a little bit because code switching is actually opposite for me. I sound like that all the time because I grew up in Wyoming. I grew up with a professor for a grandmother. My aunt's got a few degrees um, and some of them are based around English. So speaking like this is how I speak, but getting here, I ended up doing the opposite. You know, when I say, Ooh, girl, I know that's me putting on a show and it's, And that's tough because most people talk about how they have to do it for work. I have to do it for life because when my black brides come in, I have to get a little bit more real. I got to get a little bit more soul and I have to practice everything I saw Madea do on TV, really. And then what starts to happen here as well, because when my white clients meet me, sometimes I think they expect that then I have to put on a show to entertain them because they love feeling like a sister for about five minutes. So to, to what you were saying, I, sometimes I think that the world is a lot more upside on it 
down on its ear now than it was when I was a kid because I have to exist. And I think we all have to exist, but I, since I'm a salesperson at the end of the day, you have to trust me. I have to literally become a whole nother black woman to serve them here than I ever did before in my life. And, and then I come home and I get on the phone with everybody and they're like, why are you talking like that? And I'm like, oh, sorry, I forgot to turn it off. (laughs) You know, and we're here by ourselves. So it's me and my husband here. We don't have any family here. We kind of just decided to take our life and move it. Sometimes I worry that I'm losing a little bit of myself every day because I'm being somebody else. You know, where does one start and the other one end? Um, But as far as the Black experience, I'm grateful because I am strong and I know where my strength comes from now. So on one end, I can look at my life and there's certain things. I I am a full-on America statistic of what they think Black people are. I came from a broken home. My parents, they've been not together my whole life. Now my father is a hard worker. He is now retired. My mother works for a school district in, in Las Vegas. So they both had respectable careers, but they aren't together. I was raised in a household with my mother, my grandmother, my aunt. So, you know, we had those angry black women on the porch, but not on the porch because they didn't want everybody to see that they were on the porch. They were looking out the window. In Wyoming, I've seen gun violence firsthand. I've been in situations that are probably questionable to even my morale just to survive it. But with that, we survive because that's what we're meant to do. I firmly believe that the black culture is meant to survive because you look at all of the history that nobody knows about. So all the history that we know, the stories that have been erased from books, not only in America, but in the world. And we've still managed to survive. And we're still continuing to survive. And we take every hit that everybody feels like they can give us. And we make the most delicious gumbo out of crap. When life gets hard, and I managed to keep focused long enough to get through it. And people say, oh, you're so strong. You're so whatever I'm supposed to be. That's what we do. That's what we've always done. And that's what we'll continue to do. And I'm proud of my future children because that's what they will do. We're really strong. And an affirmation that I would say a lot over the summer is that I am my ancestor's wildest dream. I am a living manifestation of I- what they wanted their descendants to be. That's what we're doing. Like all of us. I I mean, it doesn't even matter how much black you have in you. You have an ancestor Mm -hmm. that we all came from. We came from. Yes. The motherland, whether people want to admit it or not, we came from there. And I love the way that you said that because I agree wholeheartedly, but I don't even just think it's for us. I think that the next generation is created to take their family the people they came from to that next level. So we complete our parents' dream. Mm. We realize we are the realization of our grandparents' dream. And that is what the next generation keeps happening to do. I think that it's a level of completion on a different level. I mean, you could say alone, we're the realization of Martin Luther King's dream, right? Because we are the children surviving and we are the children who are speaking after that. And I'm excited to see where this new generation goes because- Um, again, conversations we always have at home, you should really be in my living room. It just gets real, real, real quick and real stupid at the same time. It's going to be interesting what the future looks like because we have so much information at our fingertips and so much knowledge that people can't unhear what they're learning. 
and our children will sit down in school and their teacher will try to teach them something in history that's inaccurate and they're going to either the teacher's going to have to acknowledge to themselves that they're teaching an outright lie to a massive amount of children or the children are going to say you know what i'm not going to listen to this because it's not true you are literally reading me a fictional fairy tale every day we thought it they're saying it you know it's it's a very different reality my fight is for my children and I know that even now, I always tell people I am working to be the mother that I'm going to be to my children before it happens. So that way I'm ready. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Your Only Black Friend podcast. Next week will be part two of Jessica's story and we'll deep dive into a lot of different topics and I will also be telling a story as well. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Your Only Black Friend podcast and also shoot us an email at Your Only Black Friend podcast at gmail.com if you're interested in being on the show. And with that, I'll see you all next week.